2: I start out the show with, you know, a theme of something that's pretty uh, pretty hardcore in the news. Um, today I wanted to start off with something light. I mean, I could start off with the breaking news that according to congressional sources, Adam Schiff used taxpayer money to reach a sexual harassment settlement with a 19-year-old male back in 2013. And remember, Congress has that slush fund that they use tax dollars for to cover up Sexual uh, harassment settlements. So, I mean, I could start with that. Or I could even go into the fact that Time Magazine decided to make one of their Persons of the Year um, an Islamist, Al-Qaeda sympathizer, Muslim Brotherhood, Washington Post journalist that was killed by Saudi Arabia. Jamal Khashoggi. We can get into all that. We can get into the fact that Qatar is paying money to conservative media, to conservative politicians to the left and leftist media for favorable coverage and influence, which is why you're seeing this entire outrage mob against the new Saudi Prince. The new Saudi Prince is out there moderating his country, you know, and I'm not praising him, but I'm saying he's better than the Wahhabis. He's out there allowing women to, you know, attend soccer games and to drive. And he's, he's moderating the country with swift fashion. But for some reason, Lindsey Graham and the Brookings Institute and all these other organizations want to call for regime change, and they want us to put sanctions on Saudi Arabia, and they want us to indirectly, because of said sanctions, prop up Iran. Yeah, great idea. So when you get into all that, you wonder, well, no wonder he's getting favorable coverage in the news after his demise. So we could go into all that, but I kind of wanted to start with something, just just a little observation of... The left and how they operate, even in a conservative uh, school district, they still get their tentacles in there. There's still, you know, sustainable energy and all this kind of nonsense being taught to your kids. But it was kind of funny, you know, my son, and I don't really get into a lot of personal stories from time to time, but I kind of felt like maybe, you know, let's have a little fun with this one because it was kind of funny to me. You know, my son, seven years old, tested into a gifted school, which was great. But that's also dangerous because he knows how to game the system with mommy and daddy. He's a a little, you know, he's a little manipulative little guy, but smart as a whip. And so, you know, and I'm half bragging and half also setting the stage for my story. So (laughs) bear with me on that. But so he goes to this school and we get this email that for the holidays, for Christmas, they want to do this international uh, lunch. It's like a holiday international lunch. So, they want you to pick a food item from a certain uh, country, a certain culture, and everybody bring that to the table. And of course, with that, throughout that entire email, it's the it's the buzzwords uh, diversity and inclusiveness and blah, blah, blah. So, my wife decides she wants to, you know, help jump in and help out. And, uh, You know, first thing I told her is like, well, you know, have people signed up already? And she was like, well, yeah, yeah, we've got people signed up. I said, that's your problem. You sign up early. These kind of events when they go, hey, what would you like to contribute to the class? We're going to do a graduation dinner for the kindergarten class or a graduation lunch. Um, You sign up early so you can bring the forks and the plates and the juice boxes. Bring the stuff that, you know... It does. It's a no-brainer. You don't have to prepare it. You don't have to cook it. You don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to fit the taste of. You know, I mean, you get on the list early. Pick up napkins. (laughs) You know, cutlery. I don't know. You pick up the stuff that is going to be the easy phone in the juice boxes. But she told me, well, I kind of got to help out with some of the some of the dishes, and so um, she was trying to find an American dish. Now, it seems as though the school that he goes to is like the Professor Xavier Academy for Mutants, I guess. Because all of them, smart as a whip, intelligent, exceptional. But for some reason, there's some Achilles heel. There's some kryptonite that, you know, goes into their, uh, their cuisine, into their, their um, food preferences that really limits what you can make over there. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. It's almost like, you know, you don't want to touch Rogue. You might lose your life force because of the gluten allergy. I mean, it was insane. She was like, I don't know what to make. She's like, there's no shellfish, no dairy, no peanuts, no soy, no wheat, no gluten. She was like, I'm just going to make popcorn. (laughs) Like, well, you can't just make popcorn. Even though when you do a Google search, it actually comes up as an American dish. But I'm like, well, she's like, well, maybe I just make hot dogs. Well, you can't with the wheat buns. So just throw them on a freaking paper plate. You know, let them go, hey, do you want mustard? Do you want ketchup? You know, it's up to you if whether or not your allergy preferences will allow you to have, you know, some Heinz on your your hot dog. I mean, it's ridiculous what they had to go through. And so we're looking through the list of what everyone else has decided to show, you know, pick and whatever they've chosen. And, uh, you know, fruit tray. That's a good one. I mean, I would say veggie tray, but then the dip. Got to worry about what's in the dip. Is it gluten? Is it dairy? Is it, what, what is it? I mean, so we get to this one lady who decides she's going to go all out. I'm going to make spring rolls and maybe with the cucumber nor sushi roll. And then I'm going to bring Vegemite and crackers, you know, for the Australian culture. I mean, is she just going to go up to the kids and smile and give them Vegemite crackers? Do you come from a land down under? I mean, seriously, the lady wants to bring Vegemite and crackers. That, that's, I mean, she'd like listen to men at work and go, hey, there you go. That's, that's a food item I can bring, represent the Aussies. I mean, <laughs> I don't know this parent, and I don't want to rip on her too bad, but she does look like in the app picture, because they use this app to deliver the messages out to all the parents. She does look like she would drive a Subaru Outback, take it up to the Shenandoah for a brisk hike, You know, she would take her bike down to the countryside, dress up like she's going to do the Tour de France, and basically slow up traffic on the country 2 lean roads where people are getting head-on collisions and dying, where people have to drive Ford F-450 tanks, for for lack of a better term, so that they don't succumb to a head-on collision. But they're going to risk it so they can get that scenic view that gives them the feeling as though they're you know, biking the mountainside, you know, they're spin-classing through the mountainside in France. I mean, this is kind of what it seemed like with this lady. I mean, and, you know, and it's one thing to explore cultures, especially through food. You know, it's the greatest way to explore other cultures. Food, that brings everybody together. It's one thing to learn about other cultures through food. But it's another thing to romanticize other cultures and place them on a pedestal because you revere them Way above what you think of your very own, you know. You see people like this. Well, you know, in in uh, in Asia, they believe in this, and it's so much better than America, and you know, because they think we're a bunch of hay seeds. So it's really interesting to me that that's kind of where we were going with this whole thing. It seemed like you know you got some parents going. Well, you know, I think I'm gonna bring in some caviar, but it's you know it might be might cause a reaction in some of the kids. So let's bring. Uh, vegan, organic, caviar, whatever. That's, (laughs) and where is the place that you can get Vegemite? The only place I've ever seen selling Vegemite was Whole Foods. let me tell you about Whole Foods. Those who follow me online know when I walk into a Whole Foods on Twitter, get ready for the tweet storm. I mean, it goes down the list, especially when you get to that, that conundrum of, you know, if you sat down and ate, Because I'll tell you what, the Whole Foods prepare foods, freaking amazing. The stuff that they put out. Now, granted, they do it by weight, so you know you put a pork chop in in your box. Your lunch is now fifteen bucks. But the one cool thing about it is the food is very good, very well prepared. But when you leave, that's where the confusion starts. That's when you hit the brick wall. Which receptacle do I throw my crap away in? Do you throw it in the compost pile? Do you throw it in the recycling pile? Do you throw it in the plastics pile? Do you throw it in? I don't even freaking know. But the, the thing about Whole Foods, I'll tell you two stories real quick that just kind of lead up to it all. Because for some reason, I walk into a Whole Foods and I piss everybody off and I don't even know it. The first was with the, we had a grand opening at Whole Foods. This is the first incident. And so it was packed. Everybody's fighting for a parking spot. I saw people shanking each other with, you know, homemade uh, shanks in the side, like a prison fight, just to try to get a parking space. And so I'm kind of just driving in the parking, you know, in the parking lot in circles, basically. And I go, all right, I'm going to drop you off. Drop my wife off at the front door. She can go in, start shopping. At the time, my son was about, you know, a year and a half. He's passed out in the car seat getting his nap. That's how we do the naps, driving around. And so I found a spot and I park and I'm sitting there and my wife comes out and she comes out to ask me something. She goes back in. um, Then she comes back out again and we're trying not to wake the baby up. And so we're sitting there in the car. Well, this guy behind me pulls up and he thinks because the car in front of me pulled out of the parking spot, which would allow me to pull forward and then pull straight out of the parking spot. He thinks that because my wife got in the car to ask me a question, that we're ready to leave. And I'm talking to her, and he lays in on the freaking horn. And I'm looking back going, what the hell are you doing, dude? You're going to wake up my kid. She gets out and goes out, and I get out of the car. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going anywhere. And if I do go anywhere, I'm not pulling straight forward because there's a line, there's a caravan of cars that I would have to wait until I get to the end, if that end ever comes, so I can pull out of there. So guess what, Brother? you're going to have to sit there and wait or find another spot. Of course, he was kind of floored that I would get out of the car and confront him like that. But what was great was the people that were standing by the door kind of knew what was going on, and they started cheering. <laughs> so I got a little bit of love from Whole Foods, but for the most part, Whole Foods not too good with me. The other was when you know we went into the bar-restaurant side and we grabbed a little lunch. Looking for tables is like, I mean, it's a, tables in a Whole Foods is a scarce resource. I mean, you got to look high and low and hope for a spot. You have to hover around and hope that you get a table. And so we were looking around and finally we get a table and we sit down and there's a couple next to us that are on a long table who are sitting and eating at that same table with another couple who they don't know. So they didn't have their own private table, but they had enough space to accommodate what they needed. And so we're sitting there eating. And as I'm getting ready to finish I see this couple who reminded me of of ourselves, what we just went through. And they're looking around going, man, I can't find a table anywhere. And so we finish up. I grab them. I said, hey, do you want our table? Because we're, we're done. I mean, you can have it. We'll clean it up for you real quick. And they're like, oh, that's so great. Thank you. So then, you know, we wipe the table down. I give it to them. They're appreciative. I get up and I start to walk out. My wife goes, did you see the couple next to you? They were pissed. I was like, well, what happened? Well, apparently... They wanted their table. And I was like, you know what? Screw them. They are sitting at a table. They've got adequate space. How about help out the people that are walking around eating food while standing up, walking around like they're, you know, they're lost in the wilderness with a plate of food. I'm like, give them the table. I mean, is, where's that kind of compassion? So needless to say, Whole Foods and I don't really get along. But you know that's—it's just a funny story. It's stereotypical of the left. You know they're mockable caricatures. They're the ones who name their kids Absidy, which on paper looks like A B C D E. It's just like when I went to the orientation for my uh, son's uh, Professor Xavier mutant uh, talented school, and we're sitting there and they're passing out the uh, passing out the name tags. And they're holding them up to make sure that whoever is you know, already designated with that name tag will come up and get it. And my son, they hold up one, and my son goes, Hey, Dad, they named their kid Line. They named him Line. And I start laughing, and that's when she's like, Lene? Lene? Is there a Lene here? I mean, this is the kind of place that I'm dealing with. And so my wife, I guess, is going to make popcorn, because you can't have gluten, you can't have dairy, you can't have... Uh, Whatever, soy, wheat, down the line. But it's these mockable parents that, you know, like my wife said, they're probably stay-at-home parents and probably stay-at-home moms, you know, and, and they watch The View, and they have this progressive view towards the world, and, they you know, they want to save the planet and climate change and all of it, and it's very mockable. It's amazing how easy they are to be mocked. All right, let's switch gears now. So Samantha Maselli is back. Yeah, Alyssa Milano Cookie, as Doc Thompson likes to call her. Yeah, she's back. And she has brought with her some Dr. Seuss Christmas offerings. Just in time for the holidays.
3: This holiday season, Betsy DeVos sent a lovely gift to the students of America. New Title IX guidelines. Here's a little story about it. Entitled, One Shitty Gift by Betsy DeVos. Late one evening at the Department of Ed, thoughts were bouncing around Betsy DeVos's head. She needed a gift, she started to think, a present for the people that would really stink. She already cut loan aid and ignored teachers' pleas, criticized public school and embarrassed herself on TV. Title IX protects women, that much she knew, and something so good simply won't do. All night she stayed up, her mind ablaze, the shitty ideas pouring onto the page. No more investigations for off-campus rape. Bars and house parties would totally be safe. The meaning of harassment she would remove, squeeze and twist until it was hard to prove. Live hearings where attackers defend their own violence sounded like a good way to keep victims silent. Sweep assault under the rug, walk back student rights. Protect predators when they put up a fight. After all was said and done, rape stats would go down. Not because things got better, but because fewer would count. Betsy wrapped her ideas and set off in her sleigh. One gift for every he, she, and they. But the good news is, unlike many gifts that are This one comes with a way to return it. So go ahead, put one more thing on your list of holiday tasks, take Betsy's gift and shove it up her notice and comment section. Submit a comment and she's legally required to review and respond before changing the policy. Tell Betsy no way. Go submit your comment today at itsonus.org slash Title nine to
2: let Secretary DeVos know what you think. Thanks for the crappy gift there, Alyssa Milano. I mean, yeah, who really wants due process? Who really wants constitutionality? We just, we've got to believe survivors. We believe survivors. You remember that crap? What is Title IX? Because she's really going on about Title IX. That's her big thing. Well, Title IX is a federal civil rights law. It was passed back along with the Education Amendments of 1972. It was signed into law by Richard Nixon. Basically, it says no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity that receives federal financial assistance. Well, that was passed back in the, uh, you know, the, it was actually a follow-up to the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So basically what's going on is Betsy DeVos had issues with the evidentiary standards and due process. That was her concern. <clears throat> and this is actually from an article that I was reading. Betsy DeVos' new sexual assault policy would allow accused parties to cross-examine their accusers. Reduce liability for universities and narrow the definition of sexual harassment. The new policy would overhaul Title IX regulations created under President Barack Obama. Stanford University, this is from uh, the Stanford Daily, however, maintains that it would not influence the university's current sexual assault procedures. The proposed policy narrows the definition of sexual harassment, defining it as unwelcome conduct so severe, so pervasive, and objectively offensive... That it denies a person equal access to education. In contrast, Obama-era rules define sexual harassment more generally as any unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature. So basically, she's trying to say: look, let's make it more of a legitimate argument here. Let's just let's just not take somebody based on accusations and hang them out to dry. In fact, let's give them an opportunity to cross-examine. And even have some sort of ability to stand up for themselves under the constitutional due process, you know, co- Amendment Number Five. It's it's ridiculous that Samantha Maselli, Alyssa Milano is out on the warpath to eliminate that from somebody. Going further, this is also from the Stanford Daily about uh, Title Nine hearing with cross examination evidence in his defense is essential to basic fairness. It's one judge. Uh, Judges ruling, but if it catches on, it's a dagger to the heart of the Obama administration's Title IX guidance, still widely used by universities, even though it's been rescinded. One university said that um, a gentleman who was being looked at under the Obama era guidance, they had their um, their liberty and property interest violated by ruining their good reputation and expelling them for allegedly sexual misconduct And that's the problem. That's what we're running into. We're running into the fact that people want to just take somebody at their word. Have you known somebody who just accused you of doing something because maybe you didn't want to take them out on a date? Maybe you didn't want to have anything to do with them, but they were pushy with their advances? And, you know, full disclosure here. I used to have a crush on Alyssa Milano back in the day. I mean, she's only a couple of years older than me, maybe even one year older than me. So, I mean, it's age appropriate. OK, but I mean, y- you ever have that one female that, you know, in fact, I worked with one years ago. She was freaking gorgeous. I mean, but then she opened her mouth and then you were like, God, how did you just ruin all that? How did you ruin it? All you had to do is open your mouth and say something with this valley girl accent and you were just just abrasive language. And you're just like, God, you just are ugly on the inside. But anyways, so that is the gift that Alyssa Milano wants to give us. She's afraid Betsy DeVos is going to come through and make it difficult for the LGBTQRS uh, LMNOP OP. And uh, and for females who just want to go out and accuse somebody of rape. And next thing you know, the gentleman who is being accused is going to be tarred and feathered on the public stage, run out of their university that they're paying, you know, six figures for. And you know what? It's not like that hasn't happened in University of Virginia. It's not like that happened. It's not like that didn't happen with the Duke lacrosse team. We need due process. I mean, that's, that's what is in our constitutional rights. So I'm for what Betsy DeVos is doing. Don't forget to find me on social media, on Twitter, at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show. Also, you can search Adrian Slade. It's snippy, convo, mewe. You can also find me on Parlay P-A-R-L-E-R. Back in just a moment. This is Adrian Slade. All right, welcome back. Switching gears we got a little insight earlier in this week of how negotiations happen between the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Check out this exchange between Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and President Donald Trump.
1: Thank you, Mr. President, for the opportunity to meet with you uh, so that we can work together in a bipartisan way uh, to meet the needs of the American people. I think the American people recognize that we must keep government open. That a shutdown is not worth anything, and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. You have the White oh, House, cool You have the White House. You have the Senate. You have the House of Representatives. You have the votes. You should pass no, it. No, we don't now. have the
0: vote, Nancy, because in the Senate we need 60 votes. No, no, but in
1: the House and we don't, we don't have. could bring it up right now. Yeah, today. but I can't.
0: Excuse me but I can't get it passed in the House if it's not going to pass in the Senate. I don't want to waste time.
1: Well, well, the fact is, you can get it started that way.
0: The House, we can get passed very easily, and we do. But the problem is the Senate, because we need 10 Democrats to vote, and they won't vote. That's
1: not the point, Mr. President. The point is is that there are equities to be weighed, and we're here to have a conversation in a prayerful way, so I don't think we should have a debate in front of the press on this, but the fact is the the House... Republicans could bring up this bill if they had the votes immediately and set the tone what you want.
0: If we thought we were going to get it passed in the Senate, Nancy, we would do it immediately. We'd okay. get it passed very easily in the House. No, we not- would get it, Nancy, I'd have it passed in two seconds. It doesn't matter, though, because okay. we can't get it passed in the Senate because we need ten Democrat votes. Well, that's we, the problem.
1: Again, let us have our conversation, then that's we can right. meet with the press again. But the fact right. is, is that at legislating, which is what we do, right. you begin, you make your, your point, you state your case. That's what the House Republicans could do if they had the vote. But there are no votes in the House, a majority of votes, for a wall no matter where exactly right.
0: right. you do That's exactly If have I needed the votes for the wall in the House, I would have them in one session well, then would go be do done. It. Go do it. it doesn't help because we need 10 Democrats in no, the don't Senate. put it on
1: the Senate. Put it of on the negotiation. Okay, let
0: me ask you this. Just And we're doing this in a very friendly manner. It doesn't help for me to take a vote in the House where I will win easily with the Republicans. Will not win. It doesn't help to take that vote because I'm not going to get the vote well, of the Senate. Senate. I need 10 senators. Mr. That's President, the problem. You have the
1: White House, you have the Senate. I have the you White have House. House. The White House,
0: House is House. done, and the House would give me the vote if I wanted it, but I can't because well, I, can't, need, Nancy, can't, I need... Nancy, I need 10 votes from Chuck. Now, or, or let me President, say something let me
1: under, here. Let me just say one thing. Right. The fact is, you do not have the votes
0: in the right. House. Nancy, I do. Well, and we need well, border let's, security. Let's Nancy, Nancy, we we'll need border security. It's very simple. Of course we do. We need border security.
2: And, of course, Chuck Schumer, he has to grandstand and, you know, throw his disdain around. You know, he's got a virtue signal for his base. So they continue on with this exchange.
0: Something, Mr. President, you just say my way or we'll shut down the government. We have a proposal that Democrats and Republicans will support to do a C.R., that will not shut down the government. We urge you to take it. And if it's not good border security, I it won't take it. very good And if it's security. not good border security, border security, I won't take it. it. It's what the. Because when you look at these numbers of the effectiveness of our border security, and when you look at the job that we're doing you with just our said military, it is effective. Can I be? Can I tell you something? Yeah, you just said without it's a effective. wall, these are only areas where you have the wall. We want to do. Where this. you have walls, Chuck, it's effective. We, where you don't have Wait, walls, it, it is wall wall not effective. To this? Yeah.
1: Let's call a halt to this. We've come in here as the first branch of government, yeah. Article 1, the legislative branch. We're coming in in good faith to negotiate with you about how we can keep the government open. The, 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 we're the, going to keep it open American, if we
0: have border if, security. If, if we don't have border security, I'm Chuck, we're not going to keep it open. let me you. you. We have to have border security. And it's the same border. You're bragging about what has been done. We us. want to do the same thing we did last year, this year. That's our proposal. If it's good then, it's good now, and it won't shut down the government. Chuck, we can build a but much bigger let's, section Let's debate in private, okay? Yeah, let's debate in private. That is
1: devoid, frankly, of fact, and we, we can... We need border that.
0: security. I think we all agree that we need border security. Yes, is that we do. Right? Right? Good. We do. See? We get along. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody.
2: Of course, I thought this exchange was pretty interesting, very eye opening, especially because Pelosi and Schumer wanted to have negotiations in private because there they can sit there and say whatever the heck they want to say, come up with whatever they want to do. And then when they go out to make their public uh, statements, you know, that's when they can flip the switch, flip the script and stab whoever in the back they want to, because that's how Washington has been going for the last uh, couple decades. That's how they have operated. And really, if you thought there was somebody who was contrarian and somebody who was diffusing any sort of tension and division, it was freaking Donald Trump. I mean, really. I think if there's two things that I think President Trump should continue to do, it's these two things together. It's a great formula that would help his presidency from here on out. Have the negotiations televised. Or at least have the reporters allowed to watch the negotiations with cameras on. And then when it's time to deliver presidential uh, statements, press secretary kind of stuff, you do it on Twitter. So basically you are now using the media to your advantage and then you're circumventing them when it comes to your own messaging. So you keep the cameras on people like Pelosi and Schumer, and they have to be accountable to their base. They have to be accountable to the media. They have to be accountable to the public at large. And then instead of your message getting distorted and filtered and spun and and just picked apart and and just destroyed before it ever comes out, you get to circumvent the media in that regard via Twitter. I think that's a winning combination. And boo-hoo to the people in Congress who, oh, they might have to work through the Christmas break. Oh, well, you know, you had plenty of time to fix this. Remember, we had a Schumer shutdown last year in January. And so now we're looking at it again, and we're going to sit there and try to kick the can? I mean, check this out. This is from Fox News. A casual congressional observer may suspect that Senate Majority leader Mitch McConnell, gets a little sappy at time. Quote, I'm sort of hoping for a Christmas miracle, McConnell declared on Tuesday about the prospects of avoiding a government shutdown. Magic things happen at Christmas, and that's what I'm counting on. Hear those words you might rank McConnell right up there with Irving Berlin. Christmas in Washington, a capital Christmas. Christmas on Capitol Hill. But before anyone thinks that this is a picture print by Courier and Ives, hardened congressional veterans know McConnell's painting a bleak picture for the Yuletide season. Members should now be prepared to work between Christmas and New Year's if necessary in order to complete our work, McConnell warned, speaking about the rejuvenated effort to pass criminal justice reform bills before the end of the year. So, And in fact, they said, don't buy any non-refundable tickets for travel this month. You know, of course, Jeff Flake and some of those morons, you know, some of those lame ducks were completely, uh, completely flabbergasted by the whole Schumer-Pelosi thing on, on public display. He said, I don't think it's ever, it ever helps to have a discussion like this in public. Well, you know, Jeff Flake, you're on your way out. Thank goodness. Well, what's really amazing is the Democrat spin from this whole thing. The Washington Post, the same outlet who allowed a platform for an Islamist al-Qaeda apologist, someone who held information on Osama bin Laden from the United States, Jamal Khashoggi, the same outlet that allowed him a platform, this is what they said about the situation that we just listened to. Over 10 minutes of a surreal public sparring match in the Oval Office, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi tried mightily to rise above the bluster and ego that erupted between... Men in the room. But Pelosi instead had to listen as President Donald Trump mansplained to her legislative process and her role in the debate. While Senate Minority Leader Charles E. Schumer talked over her to trade barbs mano a mano with Trump. Yet Pelosi emerged from the meeting, not some wilted flower, but a symbol of a woman who doesn't have time for male posturing. So this was the male, uh, this is toxic masculinity and the male patriarchy and all that garbage. It's amazing how the media spends this. And they've continued this war on women meme for way over its due. Like I said, I know plenty of women, including my wife, that makes more than I do. And I'm fine with that. She succeeded. She didn't start out that way, but she pushed in her career. Kudos for her. But you know what? This war on women, this this oppression of women is not happening. I don't care what you say. So, going on on this misogyny and, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, you know, they keep bolstering her as if she's some strong woman. Remember she did that when she had that filibuster thing that was going on? It's not really a filibuster, but she got out there and she spoke for a long time. And she got up there in high heels And the media went crazy. They kept talking about, look at this strong woman. She was up there for hours in high heels. I've seen women up in the club with crazier heels than that, older than she is, and rocking it out. But, you know, it's all about optics. It's all about spin. It's all about how the left can change what we just witnessed. I mean, what did we we just witness? We witnessed Donald Trump taking a contrarian view against One person who was demeaning on many different levels, you know, first she had to try to spin it as the the Trump shutdown, which it's going to be the Schumer shutdown, because it's exactly what they did last year. Chuck Schumer just said it. He just said, well, why don't we do what we did last year? Well, we don't want to do what we did last year because all we're doing is kicking the can down the road. We want to get back to maybe addressing the border. But see, she wants to say. Oh, this is going to be the Trump shutdown and try to pin it on him. But the other thing that she was doing was she was trying to address him as if he doesn't understand the Constitution. You know, trying to say that the legislative body is the first and that's why it's an article one. And that's great to bring all of that up and all. But it was pointless. That's all posturing for the camera. Now, granted, Trump may not be the most constitutionally versed individual, which is one of the reasons why I originally supported Ted Cruz because just putting it out there, just so you know why I took the position I took because people still can't get over the nomination process. I can't figure that out. That's what a nomination process is. You have people fighting for the nomination, various different people, and there's various different reasons why you get behind various different people. And it's an ugly scene. But at a certain point, once the nomination is clinched, you either get behind the person who w- rose above everybody else and was picked by that party, or you find an alternative. You either go to the Libertarian Party, or you go to the Green Party, or you go to the Federalist Party here soon, or you go to the Democrats, or, t- you know, at that point, you make the decision. But if you backed somebody that other people didn't support, how about if they've decided to back them after? The nomination has been clenched. How about you give them some grace and let them go? You know, I've been having this discussion for a little while recently, and according to other, I mean, in regards to other people, according to people online, they can't let it drop. But here's the thing I wanted somebody who could rattle off the Constitution, like, it, like right off the back of their hand. You know why? Because Obama defecated. And basically sharded all over the Constitution for eight long years. Academia hasn't been teaching the Constitution, even in legal courses, in the study of law. They're more concerned with precedents and uh, you know, uh, all of the things that come after instead of the core document itself. So my position was, we better have somebody that every decision he makes is based off of constitutionality. Now, that didn't win over. People picked the businessman, and I get why they did it, because we needed somebody who was a wrecking ball, somebody that could swing the jawbone of an ass around and knock down the political class. Because really, if there's a couple things that I really must thank Donald Trump for, it is the the butt-whipping, the, actu- the actual deep pantsing of the media, and this slow demise of the bureaucratic state. You know, people in different parts of the bureaucracy just being eliminated. Peter Stroke, Andy McCabe, you know, down the line. James Comey. All of that needed to happen. And so, if anything, maybe the next go-around, when we have an opportunity to put someone who can restore the Constitution, maybe there has to be a melting down before restoration can come. That's not my decision. I leave that to God. But the media, whenever we see something like what we just saw, has to spin it. They have to make you think what you saw didn't happen and that what you saw was actually this over here, even though it wasn't. And so they're going to say that he was, you know, mansplaining to Pelosi. And now the best article that I've seen, kid you not, Boston Globe, Headline, Nancy Pelosi and Big Coat Energy. (laughs) The White House meeting of President Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, Senate uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi uh, was notably tense, and the Internet responded accordingly. The entire Oval Office drama received the meme treatment, with Pence's bizarre closed-eye meditation getting special attention, but it was Pelosi's fashionable White House exit. The California Democrat who wore high-collared asymmetrical coat and a pair of sunglasses that set the social media world ablaze. Has anybody figured out what coat that is that she's wearing? Barry Jenkins, the Academy Award-winning director and co-writer of Moonlight, tweeted out of Pelosi's rust-colored jacket. I waited to ask this question. Let the seriousness of the situation be properly discussed. That color is legit, and we need to know this. Of course, that's important. It's really important that we need to know about Nancy Pelosi's big coat. It's almost like that scene in Christmas Story where they put the kid in that giant coat. Mommy starts wrapping him up with the scarf, and then when he's walking out, he falls over, and he's like a roly-poly. He's like a turtle on its back. No one can roll him over. No one can get him up. The coat's too big. So they're trying to say that Nancy Pelosi was this powerful symbol because she put on this big coat and walked outside. You go, girl. Show me where I can buy that coat for my wife for Christmas. Yeah. That's how the media spends it. Never mind. We saw them both basically get shown for the frauds that they are. And that fraud being somebody who has to talk things in private, who has to be defensive, who has to try to use a vote for something that is very important to a lot of people, border security, and they have to use it as a political pawn in the, in the privacy of a negotiation room, back where they're smoking cigars and, you know, coming up with some sort of way to basically forego your principles and then come out into the public and spin it your way so that you get the win even though you didn't get the negotiation win. But we got to see that on display. And again, my recommendation to Trump is always have the cameras around when you're doing these negotiations, and then when it's time for you to deliver your own message, you just do it straight through Twitter, bypass media altogether. So the media is going to swoon about the coat, and they're going to swoon about Nancy Pelosi and how she stood up to Trump, and they're going to say it was mansplaining by Trump, But we all saw what it really was. But that's the media for you. It's almost as ridiculous as this Vox article. Listen to this. It's ridiculous that it's unconstitutional for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to run for president. Immigrants, young people, and everyone else should be allowed to run. Yeah, let them all run. Let's get some Brazilians in here. How about we bring in some uh, Germans? How about we bring in some Russians? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the biggest star in the Democratic Party, and she has been ever since she unseated Representative Joe Crowley in a surprise primary upset in May. That her win didn't, in the final analysis, launch a wave of leftist primary victories only goes to show what a phenomenon she personally is. Not everyone shares her brand of politics, of course, but her constituency has exploded beyond the initial set of ideologues who powered the challenge to Crowley because of her incredible wit, charisma, and social media savvy. All she does is get on videos uh, like Periscope and talk about how the three chambers of, of government are the legislation, you know, the House, the, the, the Senate, and the presidency. Let's forget about the fact that there's a judiciary out there. And then she gets out and talks about how she wants to flip her seat red instead of blue, as it should have been. And she gets out there and makes gaffe after gaff. But, you know, she's incredibly smart, Even though she doesn't know how we're going to pay for Medicare for all, she's just going to make it happen. You just pay for it. You know, you just pay for it. But that's how they're trying to spin it, as if she's this brilliant young woman and that we need to just redo how we do elections. We need to get rid of election law because we need to allow immigrants to vote. We need to allow 16 year olds to vote. And then we need to get rid of the Electoral College because that worked out against them in 2000 and also in 2017. And we need to get rid of, uh, you know, voter ID. We need to basically open it up for everyone to come in. Just vote as many times as you want. If you're dead, hey, no problem. Your voice can be heard beyond the grave. But we really need to look at the fact that this is what they're looking at. It's almost like what happened with The Biden rule, almost like what happened with the filibuster rule that uh, that, you know, what's his name? Harry Reid decided to change the rules at the final hour for. They want all these fixes that helps them, but they don't realize at a certain point they're not going to be the ones in power. They're not going to be the ones to be able to massage and manipulate how they've made these changes. But thats they don't care. It's all about the initial win, because I think they have something long-term, and that doesn't involve constitutionality. Back to the article, in a year where moderate incumbents generally don't lose primary challenges from the left, in which our revolution endorses, failed to flip a single GOP House seat, Andrea Ocasio-Cortez consistently dominates the conversation living rent-free in heads of conservatives, racking up magazine profiles and Twitter followers, engaging supporters on Instagram in a heretofore unprecedented way, and pulling back the curtain on some of the seamier aspects of business as usual in the U.S. Congress. She's an outside politician in the best possible sense, quietly loathed by many of her colleagues for beating a well-liked incumbent and being, frankly, more impressive than they are but will still be well-liked by normal rank-and-file Democrats. Having spent more time as a bartender than a politician, she has an appealing every-woman persona, and a Latina from the Bronx is a reminder that mainstream politics needs more working-class life in America than just old guys in Appalachian diners. You know, that's the funny thing. She's a bartender from New York. That's not really the real world. Okay, that's a bubble in and of itself. And I get it, you know, you can be in every person and, and run for office. There's no prerequisite. I mean, hell, look at what we had in Vegas. We had the bunny ratch guy who ran, and then he died, and he still won. I mean, there's no prerequisite for a political background to qualify you to run, because this is our country. If you want to run, if you think you can make a difference, you can raise the money, you can set, you know, a platform, you can articulate a stance and you're popular enough to get elected, kudos to you, more power to you. But you want to keep in mind that there's more to it than just that. You have to think of governance. You have to think of what you actually can bring to the table. And she, on the other hand, I don't think she realizes what she's gotten herself into. But at the same time, a lot of people are trying to question whether or not we should mock her on things that she allows us to mock her on. They think that it's taken her too lightly and that we need to be serious because this is a millennial movement, and I'm with you on that. There is a millennial movement of communists. They don't know that they're communists. They, They don't know what it's called, but everything they say is communist. If it looks like a commie, it sounds like a commie. It's probably a commie, even though you've never named it a commie. But here's the thing. We do have to have a little fun mocking her because she is the the headstone of the millennial movement. She is the statue of the millennial movement, the marker, the cornerstone. And if we don't show people what is the ruse of what she is, the fact that she hasn't thought everything through, the fact that she is going on surface value uh, topics... She's not thinking things on a deeper level. We have to realize that she needs to be shown for the fraud that she is as an example of what we're dealing with. You can mock her and also take her seriously at the same time. Those two things can happen. So we have to realize the media, just like they did with Beto O'Rourke, just like they did with Bill Clinton when he was running, they were, oh, wow, look at him with the saxophone. Look at him on Arsenio. I wonder if he wears boxers or briefs. Let's ask him. Let's get a little... You know, 18-year-old to go out there on MTV and go, Mr. President, do you wear boxers or briefs? I wear boxers. Meet me in the oval orifice. I've got some, you know, Cubans I want to get you with, Ms. Humidor. I mean, that's what we built up. We built all that. Not us. The media did. You know, they went on about Barack Obama and his, you know, clean, starched slacks. You know, he was just a clean, articulate guy. Even though he went, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 you know, Chris Matthews, uh, 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 that feeling going up your leg? Yeah, that's media spin. That little thread, that little electrical shock that went up Chris Matthews' leg was media spin and projection. It wasn't actual substance. It wasn't personality. And we're going to see a lot of this. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. We just have to go for the ride, but eventually they will show themselves to be the frauds that they are. They will sit there and build up in the media how important they are only to have ticket sales plummet when you go on tour, right? Bill and Hillary out on their tour. No one's showing up. Seats are empty. Ticket prices are going down. I think you can buy them on Groupon at this point. I think they're going for like 50 bucks or less. You might be able to pick up those and some tickets to Def Leopard, you know, at the state fair. Maybe some tickets to see sleaze bees. I don't know. You could probably scalp those more than you can, can scalp Hillary and Bill Clinton tour tickets. But we have to realize the media is always going to prop up their side and give them the fluffy treatment that they're not going to give us. And they're going to continue to do just like they do to Donald Trump on a daily basis to whoever it is, Kasich, Cruz, Rubio Walker it doesn't matter whoever the, the GOP guy is they will be the ones to be destroyed by the media and they're not going to get the fluff piece of Nancy Pelosi's coat and how she's being mansplained I'm Adrian Slade thanks for tuning in you can listen to us on Mojo Five O every Saturday at 5 p.m. every Sunday 6 a.m. and then again at 5 p.m. Check out Mojo50 on the iHeartRadio app or at Mojo50.com. You can also check out the podcast: iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, Overcast, Podbeam, wherever podcasts are hosted, you can find the Adrian Slade Show. You can also check out the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store. Download it. Check out the blog, AdrianSladeshow.com. You can also support the show, subscribe, $2 a month or whatever amount you wish, patreon.com slash AdrianSlade Show, or get on over to anchor.fm slash AdrianSlade and donate $4.99 a month. We'll see you guys next time.